Hi, I'm Howie Rose, and you're listening to Mark at AJ on 540 Sports Talk New York. And welcome back to WBWD 540 AM Sports Talk New York. This is your host, Ryan Sherman, and with us, Mark Roseman and AJ Carter. Uh, we'll start by first congratulating both of you on publishing your first book together, Glove Story, Father's Sons, and American Pastime. Thanks. No I appreciate problem. it. Thank you. I, I hope you've read it and hope you've yeah. enjoyed it. Cover to cover. I did enjoy it. So I know that this is Mark's fir- uh, fifth book, but uh, first right. for you. So how was it? Uh, it's an interesting process. Uh, you know, most of my writing of my career is newspaper stories and even projects with nothing of the length or the take of time. Uh, so learning and carrying it through and trying to figure out how you can put together a book that holds its own for 240 pages as opposed to, you know, four or five pages in a newspaper, really different challenge, different mm-hmm. skills, a lot of fun. And so the timing of the book is so appropriate with Father's Day right around the corner. The focus of the book is right in the title, Father's Sons and Baseball. Uh, and it focuses, I think, in two parts. One personally on the relationship between you and your son, Josh, but also impersonally about a little bit of a lesson about the history of the connections between generations of fathers and sons in baseball. So how did you guys decide the balance between having the personal and not? Well, that was, uh, we felt, originally when the concept for me for the book was the whole coming of age for me, you know, realizing that Josh is at a different phase in his life, and I, I missed that time. I really did. And I felt there was something there that not only for me, I mean, any person that's had that time with their, their son going to games, as the child moves on to adulthood, that kind of goes away a little bit. But we also realize it's such a rich history of players in baseball that are the sons of former major league players. And there are people out there that have similar experiences. So we wanted that to be the thread. And AJ really was able to weave it together I think through it, that. I think you, you take a look at what the book is. Mark and Josh's story is the, the skeleton, the spine. Yeah. And then the rest of the book is, gives it the redeeming social value because the meat on the bones. It uses back and forth and traces their experience and looks at the universality of this of fathers and sons to a father and a son in baseball and looks then and expands on other people's experience. You know, we have a section where we talk about uh, multi-generational baseball players. We talk about you know fathers and sons, fathers and sons sometimes talk about the relationship. We have Maury Wills and his son Bump. We have the Wallachs. Uh, we have people who are three generations baseball players. You know, David Bell is David Bell and the Brett Boone. Right. The Boons, they're third generation baseball players. So we talk with them. Then we talk to people who are well known fans, famous people who are known as baseball fans. How do you become a baseball player? And, you know, they, and they tell stories. Everybody has the universal story. A question that, that Mark, who did most of the reporting for the book, uh, said, you know, what was the first game you went to with your father? That was what a really remember? common theme. And, and I found and that the common theme was the details were always blurry. Uh, it was very seldom that you, we would find someone that knew, you know, the count and the, and the you know, so who hit right. the game-winning home run. But it was just the memory of going to the game. You know, there, there are two memories of people that stick at me. They're, they're in the book. One is Chaz Palminteri. And, and if you saw A Bronx Tale, that's really a, very autobiographical. There's a little bit of fiction. And he talked to us about what's really in A Bronx Tale, whether it's the movie or the Broadway show or the one-man show, about, you know, having a catch with his father. His father was a bus driver. He would finish his run at City Island, and he would go on the bus and wait for like the, at the end of the run. Then they'd have a catch, and he went to a games with his father. And he talked about how, of course, his father was a bus driver. They couldn't afford good tickets. And they would sit in the last row of Yankee Stadium, and they'd watch the game. He said when he goes now, now that he's famous and has a little <laughs> more money, he sits down low. And the Yankees low, know him. And the Yankees well. know him. So he sits down low, and they, the players come in and give him balls. And he always takes that ball, and he goes to the last row of the stadium, and he finds a father and a son, and he gives them the ball. 
And that really shows and he sits you. With them sits with them, as yeah. Well. It, it, it carries through the, the fathers and the sons and what that meant to him and how he's trying to pass it not only to his children, but to see it find the, the, the universality with other fathers and sons or fathers and daughters, too. Right. And, and what I found interesting is when we spoke to all these people, when you start talking about that subject, all, all the walls come down, whether it be Bob Costas or Howie Rose or, or Chip Carey. They just brings them back to a childhood moment and they just the, the memories come flooding out and it's just great stuff uh, you know we uh, as great as any interview we do here you know it's yeah. a lot about their professional career and it's different when you start yeah. talking about that personal connection it, it's different on so many different levels yeah, yeah I think that that's something that the book really accomplishes that it, it really hits home like it, it echoed for me my relationship with my father and the different you know, relationships that are depicted in the book, whether they be really hands-on or really hands-off, you know, the relationship you have where if you're going to a game where they're watching it at home and just how, like, I just kept thinking throughout the book, yes, that's me and my dad. Yeah, that's us. That's us sitting there quietly through the game where instead of having a conversation the whole time looking right at each other, we take in the game together and, and you know, exchange observations and things like that. You know, the, the other part of the book that was a real learning experience for me and, and changed my, my opinion of things was the whole fantasy, fantasy camp experience. And I, I went down there and I went to watch Mark and I had a, sort of a, a preconceived notion about what fantasy camp was and people really you know old guys you know overweight you know probably smoking cigars somewhere deluding themselves that they're actually making friends with these their former heroes major league players i got down there and i took a look at fantasy camp and one of the things that came through in the book that surprised me is it really is a relationship that develops years that fantasy the people go to fantasy camp go back year after year after year, and that's a lot of money it's it's, it's averaging like five thousand dollars you know, a year for the week for somebody to get down year after year after year and how it is same time next year. And people go down and it's it's the friendships, not just the campers among the campers and the players among the players, but there is a bond that develops between the major league players who go down to coach and the campers who go down and pay a lot of money every year. So I think one of the things that this whole experience changed my my feelings, my observations, my assessment was was fantasy camp as an experience. What it does now look something that's not for everybody because not everybody can afford it, but for the people who can go back and people who save and and I, was it Her Eric Kelman who talked yes. in the book about you know the the, the plumber or, 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 or the bus driver you know who basically saves money for three years, to be able to come down to fantasy camp and they come down and they want to immediately start saving the next time for three years later when they right. come back. Right. And really, if you don't know a lot about the fantasy camps, and the, we talk about the phenomenon of fantasy camps also. It's business, also, it's, business, business camps, as well. it's It's one of the things that really, my eyes were open, my, my perception about what it was was changed in working on this book. Which I was very happy about, because, you know, he, he you know, age has got a, you know, a, a little sarcastic, you know, snarkiness, snarkiness to him. <laughs> and I explained to him, I, I said, you're... you're you got it wrong. I'm telling you. Right? Love said, this, right? Like he said, no. These guys they, still, you still let some snark come through. No, no. Yeah. But but I said, you're going to see that this group of people that come, it's really a special group of people. And I, I think the realities said it best. They, they they came the first year. They do a lot of things together. Great brothers. Um, yeah. in, in fact, they're, they're the Phoenix Tube Company. We might as well give them another shout out. But, right. but they said that they went the first year. And the second year, what really brought them back forever and ever was they were at the baggage carousel getting their baggage, and then Ron Sopoto was on the other end. He goes, hey, David, like, you know, he's saying, like, wait a minute, 
I, I was here one week. It's been an entire year, yeah. and Ron Sabota remembered my name and is greeting me. And and these guys do. They you know every you know, listen. Some of the friendships here on the show are from Met Fantasy Camp. Yeah. You know we uh, this jersey tonight, Barry Lyons. You know I only met him through Fantasy Camp, but you know I speak to Barry, and he's and everyone at Fantasy Camp speaks to Doc. They 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 speak to these guys during the year. They go out and they, they see these guys. You know whenever they're local, they the the, well, the know, players I, make a point to to reach out. To I, them. I think that the story really comes through on that was one of the themes for this particular fantasy camp had to do with Anthony Young, who passed away in the past year. And Anthony Young was somebody who came down as a coach to fantasy camp. And they talked about things. Actually, one of the things they raised money for was to help send his daughter to college. And they talked about one of the fantasy campers who won the Good Guy Award of the Year and his relationship with Anthony Young, that when Anthony Young got sick, he went down and flew to Houston and actually helped, took him to doctor's appointments and things like that. And you look at the relations that developed because of fantasy camp and friendship. He felt he went down. He, you know, this is his friend. He had to go help his friend out. Right. It's really a really touching moment. I think you know that comes through hopefully in the book. And the book kind of kind of dives into the the fact that it is more of a labor of love, even for the organizations who and the coaches who right. come do it every year. They love it. They're there for those same relationships. And the organizations who even admitted that they do it at somewhat of a cost, that they're making some money, but they still the, the work that goes into putting it on, they find rewarding because it becomes a family, like you guys had described. Yes, without a doubt. So let's go back to the beginning of the book. Okay. Sure. Let's dive into the Comac Cougars. <laughs> Um, <laughs> let's talk about the first day of you being a coach, where it came up about in maybe not the best kind of way. Yeah, Mark got to be coached by happenstance. Yeah, really. yeah absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, um, Comac, they didn't have T-ball, and they had, um, I forgot what the age was. I guess it was eight. Yeah. Josh was a big kid, and he, he liked baseball, and, you know, it was one of those activities that I wanted him to, to sign up for. Kings Park had T-ball, so I signed him up for Kings Park T-ball, Went there the first Saturday, and I meet the coach, and, you know, I see him struggling, looking for stuff in his car, and I walk over to him, and I go, everything all right? And, you know, the second he spoke, I knew everything wasn't all right, because, you know, basically if anyone had a match while he was speaking, we all went up in flames. <laughs> I don't know where he was the night before, but he was in no shape to, to be Or that coaching. morning. He came, yeah, he came yeah, straight yeah, from straight. the bar, maybe. He was right? in no yeah. shape to be, you know, supervising kids. So, you know, I stood there, watched, and then afterwards I called and I said, listen, I want my son on a different team. They said, well, we don't have any coaches. And I said, well, I think you should speak to all the parents. You have to do something because this person should not be in charge of, of kids. And they did reach out and every parent complained and they said, we, you know, we don't have any other teams, you know, people, you know, to put them on. I said, I'll coach. So that's how I became a coach. And then over a thousand games later, <laughs> in how many years? Yeah. And that's so how, down the path you went, but it became more than just a coaching job. You became, you know, the field you know, we became manager everything. everything, right? And and scheduling and and everything that goes into it and the politics almost of the parents and everything. So did you find, let's say now that it's all over, that it was a rewarding experience getting that involved? That I know it happened out of circumstance, but that you stayed that long through it. Absolutely would not trade it for anything in the world. I, you know, um, you know, I, I'm friends with a lot of the kids on Facebook. They're, they're not kids anymore. They're 30 years old. And to see, you know, the men they've become and, and the path that so many of them gone down, I, I, you know, and, you know, to be part of that, whatever small part it was, I, I'm really appreciative of that. You know, it, it was an interesting experience. I basically hooked on with Marks as assistant coach about two-thirds of a halfway yeah. through the run. Uh, earlier, I think, Early. maybe. And I, I was around the team. I was taking all the pictures, uh, you know, from the 
and, and chronicled Mark being thrown out of all the games he got thrown out of. Uh, I want to get back the, to that the, in a the, second. The Disney picture uh, w was one of them. But you look, and it's really interesting. It was a conscious decision, and hopefully comes through a bit in the book, about how to keep the team together. Mark's goal, he knew that most of these kids were not going to even go on to play in college. Uh, but part of the goal was to keep these kids together through high school as a group, the relationships, and how that built and developed over these. And I think, hopefully, there, there's a universality about that that people who tried hard, fathers who tried hard uh, to keep teams, no matter what sport it is, whether, whether it, it's, it's baseball or whether it's soccer or whether it's lacrosse, uh, you know, and, and, and boys, girls, wh whatever, who tried to keep the team together, what happens is you step back and say at the end and say, look, you know, goal accomplished. They're 18 years old. They're going off to college. You know, basically, we've kept them off the streets. We've right. kept them together. Yeah. We've kept them doing and something I, that, I that they liked. I think there was something like 50 Cougars, but six of them had made it through the whole way, right? From, the, from, from start, start to, to beginning. So it was that's, 63 that's Cougars. Uh, 63 Cougars. But, and, and as yeah. AJ explained through the book, that, you know, the kids that were into baseball when they're 8, 9, and 10, when they're their skill level is not the same as the other kids. There's a, a natural weeding out, and we found other kids. And, and I, I think, you know, as a parent, when there are so many other things that can distract a high school student and, and very easily go the wrong way, if you have structure and you know that there's a Saturday morning game, you're less apt to be out partying on a Friday night. And whatever small part that might have played in their development, uh, it was a good thing for me. Yeah, it's, it seemed that a lot of it, you know, the theme of the book to me came in, in two parts. And one, that it was that the relationship between father, son, and baseball should be and, and is most of the times a natural thing. And that also with especially the generations of people who had made it into the major league, that not only was it natural, but and it, it, it became the same theme with you as, as the book comes to a close. It was more about the man than the player about the man that Josh became and the men that the Cougars became and not the player. And the same thing with the professional athletes, that it was always more important that the man who was growing up was more important than, oh, teaching you the fundamentals. Well, I mean, the other thing that comes through, even from, from the players or from the fans we talk to, is baseball carries through, through life. You can sit down and watch a game you know, with, with your father, with your child, uh, and still talk and have a relationship. It's one of those things that carries through the different stages of life. And we ask people, you know, when's the last time you watched a game, you know, with your father? You had a catch, uh, and it, th those are the two things. And if you remember in the movie Field of Dreams, uh, where Ray's father comes out of the cornfield, you know, and they meet, and you know, one of the first question is, do you want to have a catch? I'd really like to have that. And we looked at that, and people, when was the last time you had a catch? What were there were memories? What's the last game? What's the game you remember going to? Uh, you know, we, we were talking with somebody this morning who's in the book about what they remember about a game. And it's not just the game itself. Mm -hmm. uh, this is Ed Nicholas, who's yeah, right. in the book, is saying you remember not just what the score was. Maybe you do, and we found out people didn't exactly remember the score no, who right. played in the game. Or, or misremembered but, but, but home you runs. But right. you remember the souvenirs, the, souvenirs the, the yearbook you got. You remember the cap. You remember, and, and this came through in a lot of people too. You remember walking into the stadium for the first time and seeing how green the grass was, mm. you know, how, how different it looked, how different it looked from from, from television. And everybody has that same experience. Yeah, I, including Bob Costas. Like Bob right. Costas talked about, when you watch it on television, it's not like it is today. It's one camera behind, right. you know, center, yeah. and that's it. And I when he walked out, yeah. yeah. As I'm saying, Bob Costas tells a really interesting story that his father was a gambler, gambler. and 
he always had to be careful when he went to a game with his father and watched a game. His father, if they went to a game, would never bet on the against the he Yankees had to that day. Promise that he wasn't going. to. But he always have to had to watch out if he knew if he watched a game the Yankees won. His father would bet against the Yankees. To be very careful about conversation with his father th- that day. But but there's so many great memories from because that's the other thing we wanted. What I really wanted to find out was. Yes, it was a bond for me, but is it yeah. universal? And in speaking to, you know, we spoke to a vice president of the United States and Dan Quayle. We spoke to an astronaut. We spoke to one of the best, you know, comedy satire writers of our time in Alan's wife. Uh, we the spoke song, to Chaz Palmer and we spoke to Dan Byrne Burn. as a songwriter. And then three voices of the game in Costas, in Howie Rose, and in Chip Carey. And what was interesting was the different stories, but the universality. Uh, of it coming down to um, most of them, with the exception of Dan Byrne, I would say every single person's love for the game came from their dad. Well, see, see, well, see, Dan Byrne was an interesting right. situation. His father was from an immigrant from right. Lithuania. But he somehow found, Dan Byrne found his way onto baseball and found it very important to impart his love for baseball on his daughter Lucy. And in fact, Lulu, Lulu, Lulu rather, Lulu. And he wrote... Uh, he wrote songs about going to game with Lulu. He, you yeah. know, and they she's became on Yasiel Puig song, fans. Yeah. Right, she's in the, the Yasiel Puig song, song, right? Yasiel yeah. Puig song. And that's because they would go to Dodger games, and that was her favorite player. And so he wrote songs about, you know, Yasiel Puig. Uh, he wrote, you know, how many home runs did Barry Bonds and he counted yeah. the home. That's be- and he, he just made sure, because of his love for the game, that he passed it on to the next generation. And that, that's really, you know, what we hope to achieve in the book, to look and say, here it is, and here's a story of two people you might hear about, you know, the guy who grew up, you know, and who lived in Comac, New York, and grew up in in, uh, in Nassau County, in Levittown, Wantaw, and, and has a son, and they had this relationship, and here's why you should care about it, because it's not just their story, it's your story. And it's a story that says, it's all about you too, and look at this. And it's also, you know, it also maybe lets a person take pause in the people that coach them in Little League. I actually, through this project was able to go back and speak to my 90 year old little league coach he's still alive and he was an unbelievable coach and i found out more about him which made him even you you don't realize when you're you're 12 years old you know he's just a guy you know out there teaching you the game but then when you find out his backstory like oh my god this guy gave so much and you know those people should be thanked as well and i think that's important and that came through as well so one of the questions I think in wrapping up that would be good to pose is the, the book asks, the DNA, fandom, is it nature or nurture? What do you guys think? I think it's a common, I, I think it's nurture. If you I, had to it, pick one side. I would, you know, I would say it's nurture because unless, you know, some people just be, if they have like that adversarial relationship with their dad, they might pick the other team just to bother mm. their dad. It depends on your relationship. I mean, my dad took me to the Met games. That was our thing. And we were Met fans. You know, there, there were, the old feeling was, especially in New York, there were National League families yeah, and, yes. and, you know, and American League families. So to some of that, it, it, it's, it's nature. You, you, you're you know, born into a family where it's... But what, yet Howie's what, what, dad what, what, was what a Yankee fan. Yeah. yeah. Right? And, and what, what, so is it, is it so much the fandom of a team or the love of baseball? And it, is there a difference between the two where the DNA might bring down, usually, typically, the, the, the team? You, you know, I, I but think the love ev- of baseball everybody, might be nurture. Everybody yeah. would like their kid to be like them and to have their interests and to look at that and if baseball is important to somebody you really care about making sure that you pass on your love of the game 
to your next generation and that they love it. And you really, you know, take great pride and have great pleasure when you see them picking up on that interest. And also the little twist in that is, uh, and, and Howie mentioned it because he, uh, it was in 69 when the Mets were in first place in September. Yeah. It was during the high holidays and they were at his uh, uh, family gathering. Yeah. And Howie's father, and everyone knew Howie's <laughs> father was a Yankee <laughs> fan, he made this big pronouncement to all the family, how about my Mets? So even though they were, right, but even though he was a Yankee fan, he took pleasure in the fact that his son's team was doing, and and made that pronouncement as if he was a Met fan, which kind of tells you something. It's a little throwaway line, but it tells you a lot. Well, there there are a lot of little lines in the book that you're going to look at and jump at. Chip Carey's will will resonate with you. Chip Carey talking about how he finally decided to go into broadcasting, that he'd gone to a game with his father, and he's coming home. And it's after the game, and he was, he was excited because they let him hang out with the other broadcasters, and they had a day of drinks, and they're coming home. And he's listening to a recap on, on the radio station. And they say, now let's hear the play-by-play of the game. And he hears his father skips play-by-play. And suddenly he turns to his father and says, you know, I want to do this. And he said the, the hair on the back of his, his neck head, stood up. Yeah. And he said, this is what I want to do. do. And he turned around and told his father that in the car. Right. And his father says, okay. They went home, and his father mixed himself another drink. And he said, okay. Tonight your education starts. Yeah, right. were you were you serious? And yep. and tonight we yeah. start. Yeah. All right. So I really appreciate you guys having me um, interview. The opportunity to I really enjoyed the book. I think it's well. a perfect Father's Day gift. It really resonates with not just you know personally. For me, it was a little surreal because <laughs> not for everyone who who might not know, but I also grew up in Comac. I played Comac North Little League, so it was almost like yeah. reading a book written in your own backyard. <laughs> right. But it was very but fun it, in that aspect. But the thing, interesting thing is, it's anyone's back. Any person yeah. that's yeah. gone I mean, to no, Little I agree. League, that that's the you, the universality which AJ says it could yeah. is could be your story just as well, and I think that's true. So where do people find the book? Amazon, exactly. you know, Amazon.com or, you know, even just email us at sportstalknylive.com. Yeah, if if you're in the neighborhood, we'll, we'll deliver the book and sign it. Sign it, sign it? yeah. yeah yep, All absolutely. right, well, hopefully you sign mine. Thank All you, right. guys. On the other side, AJ's Sunday paper, so keep it tuned right here.